Blog Talk Radio. Everybody and welcome to 2017 and a brand new Beyond the Cover. I'm your host John Robb, of course, with my good, great friend, co-host Jeff Ayers. Jeff, how you doing? Doing great. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. First show here of 2017, and what a way to kick it off with New York Times best-selling author John Lascois talking about his latest book, Fatal, which comes out January 24th. So we are very excited to have John on uh, the show right now. So are you ready? Oh, I am. Let's get John on. I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready. You're ready. So here we go. So without any further ado, the audience, let's welcome to the show Mr. John Lasquois. So, John, thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's great to be on the show. Thanks for having me. So we talked a little off the air, and you know your latest book, Fatal, comes out here on January 24th. It is a standalone. Right. Uh, why don't you Why don't you give us a little behind the scenes look into what you have uh, for us? Sure. Well, you know, uh, I've I've written 22 books in the Dismas Hardy series, and they've been very popular and, and been a lot of fun to write and everything like that. But as it turns out, I about a year ago, I just decided I was getting a little little tired of the same characters in the same settings and uh, thought it might be a fun idea to sit down and write um, a book which did not reference Dismas Hardy or Abe Glitzky or Wyatt Hunt or any of my other characters and really was a true standalone book. So I just sat down one day and I started writing and I wrote about 140 pages of another book that I was calling The Fireman. This is just the way the creative process seems to work. I got to page 140 and I realized it wasn't any good and I didn't want to do it. So it had taken me it had taken me like, you know, two and a half, three months to write all of that and I basically just threw it all away and started over. I wanted to have something much more personal than what I was writing about with the firemen. And so I decided to um pick up with the idea of something that, you know, on a domestic front can play more havoc than most people realize, and that is adultery. And um so I decided to just write a little bit little get to know somebody story about um, a woman who's deciding to commit adultery. And that one little mistake, if you want to call it that, um, leads into, a, I think, rather dark, uh, mysterious, pretty suspenseful book. Um, so I, I have to ask, though, um, you, you kept it in San Francisco, yeah. What is it about San Francisco that you enjoy writing about so much? You know, San Francisco is pretty much the lead character, and I think in all of my books, after my first three. And I, I think, I, I don't know if everybody feels this, but I think a lot of writers feel this way. You get, you get a place that just kind of resonates for you. The actual physical setting of it resonates. And I really know it. I don't have to do a lot of you know, background research and wonder if Pico and Sepulveda run into each other, which if I were setting my books in L.A., <laughs> exactly. you know, I would know the answer to that. But, um, you know, up here in San Francisco, I just, I know the city very well. I know the weather very well. I know the politics. I get to play with something I'm very familiar with and yet do something that's completely unfamiliar. 
was really kind of a very um, eye-opening and interesting um, way to go about writing a book. Now, wasn't Did it I say struggle? food also? Oh. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Now, yeah. what, what, was it a challenge kind of writing from the woman's point of view on this subject than it was the man's point of view? It's, it's huge. I mean, the thing, I, I just feel like the way to tell a story is you string, uh, you know, good scenes together where there's drama within each scene. And so much of what I was starting to do in this book, and, and it turned out to be the driving force behind the book, is this woman, um, from a, I mean, looking at this from a woman's point of view. And I had, you know, a very um, interesting and I think difficult time, especially at the beginning, pulling together the shreds of, uh, you know, these women's lives. Actually, it's two women that um, one turns, one is a cop who we become, I think, uh, pretty engaged with. And the other is a woman who is the adulteress who's really not that bad a person, supposedly, and uh, don't really know how she's going to act. But I think that kind of um, uncertainty about how how a woman is going to deal with these problems as opposed to how a man is going to deal with them. I think that drove the book um, and made it very interesting to write and very different tone from my Dismas Hardy stories. Well, since people who are fans of yours, and if if the listeners are not, then they should be, um, are they going (laughs) to be surprised by this writing in this book? I think they're going to be shocked, frankly. I, I mean, we've had some wonderful pre-reviews, and you know, a lot of people do seem to like it. But I know that when I go back and read it, I, I find myself asking, who wrote this thing? <laughs> I mean, that's really how I feel about the actual prose in the book. I'm going, this is a very different feel. The whole, the whole attitude is so different, and, and the things that happen in it are so different that um, I think it's just really kind of a good book. I think people will read it within a page or two. They'll forget that Dismas Hardy, you know, is my guy, and they'll be caught up in whatever's going on on the page. At least that's my hope, and it seems to be working. Yeah, that's always kind of a struggle, isn't it, when you have a series carrier, a series character like that, and fans right, are expecting right. the next one and the next one, and then you're like, you know what? I'm going to put an intermission in here, and we're going to put this in there, right. and then we, you know, then we'll go and we'll pick it up. So were you a little bit taken back and you were like, gosh, you know, is this the right time to do this? Do I really want to do this? But the story just kept talking and talking. You're like, all right, I have to, I have to do it now. I mean, or could this yeah. book have come out maybe two years ago? I mean. No, you know, the thing is, there's, there's also, um, you know, not, I'm not going to give away any spoiler moments, but, you know, <clears throat> the things that happen in this book, um, people have, have commented in the past about how, I have been very um, kind of a prognostic, have a prognostic, what's that word, prognoscatory feel to them, where I kind of say things that wind up happening. Uh, And in this book, there are things that are, um, let's just say, extremely timely and relevant that I did not plan to put in the book, or or I didn't do it as any kind of a a trick, but it turns out that some of the things that I wrote about are um, part of our life right now, so... Pretty interesting. Gotcha. Ooh, that's, that's ominous there. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> it is ominous. Why? Why have you been writing? Laughing. 
yes, yes. Uh, why have you been uh, writing a series for so long? I guess, and because there's been so many in the series, isn't yeah. trying to uh, keeping a series going that long is kind of daunting. I would think. Well, the good thing about it is I have done other books where people, um, these have not been standalone books because really there's more of a, a group of people that interact in that series. And in, in various books, you know, one book will be mostly an Abe Glitzky story and another book will be mostly a Dismas Hardy story or a, a Wyatt Hunt story or a Gina Roke story. All these people have kind of stood up at one time or another and said, hey, make this one about me. And so that's kind of broken up the uh, – the, um, rigidity of the format you know where where the story really depends upon um a very different character than you might have read in the last book even though you're still in familiar territory with these with these friends and characters who you know but i have to say doing something that's completely standalone was a different experience as i think i've mentioned it's uh it's very interesting to go go back and read it again and go wow <clears throat> They don't. These people don't act the same. They don't think the same. There's not the same kind of um, humor. The humor is very different. There is humor, but it's very different. And there's also a, a little bit more of a, uh, I think, a, uh, I hate to use this word, but there's a sensitivity to um, the female side of things that is, I think, a little unusual. Okay, you got to expand a little on that one. <laughs> what do you mean, a li- like a little unusual? <laughs> well, there's a wo- there's a young woman who's who's suffering from anorexia who who kind of like uh. walks into the story from the side, and we become in- very involved with her health and the cop who is watching. She's not really even related to this cop's case, but they become involved with one another as kind of a mother daughter. Um, and there's, there's, a, there's, you know, long sections in the book that are about the the uh, relationships between these this woman and her daughter and her daughter's friend, and it, it just imbues the whole book with a kind of a different sensibility than you'd see in a, uh, the Dismas Hardy books or the Abe Blitzky books. There, I gave you a little bit so, extra. What about that? Yes, yes. So, <laughs> so would you say that this is? one of your most character-driven books then because of all the storylines and the kind of webs that you kind of have, we- have, to have to kind of weave together? Well, you know, that's a great question because the, uh, I'm known, I think, for my character-driven stories. But ironically, this one has one of the most, um, well, I'll, I'll just use the word interesting plots. I think it's very much a plot book, which is very ironic, I think, because the the plot angle of the the book, by the end of the book, you know, you're not going to put the book down with 60 pages to go. You're just going to, okay. you know, and you're going to know the characters and that's all well and good. But really, you're going to want to know what happened because what happens is pretty cool. And, uh, you know, that's what you hope happens when you're writing a book, that all the elements come together, all the character elements, all of the, you know, elements about how the city plays and how, how everybody works with one another, but at some point you get to the, you know, you get to a, a moment when you have to start delivering the goods on what actually happened and how it got, how it gets figured out. And that part of this book is, I have to say, almost my favorite of any of my books. Well, I have to say the last, your last book did a great job too, um, and you're actually you. kind of reading my mind because I was going to ask you, how do you craft that perfect ending? 
Well, I'm going to tell you a secret. You rewrite. <laughs> I got to the end of the book. <laughs> I got to the end of the book the first time, and I, I actually handed it in to my editor, and he said he liked it. My, my agent liked it. Everybody was happy. I said, okay, and then I lived with it for about a week, and I said, you know what? I don't like it. And I went back, and I wrote it. I wrote the last 60 pages a second time. And then, you know what? I went back, and I wrote it a third time. And by the time I had it figured out on the third time I went, it was so, so diabolical and so great that I was just, I'm going, I'm just so glad I kept at it because this one really came together. Wow. Now, and when you finally kind of finish and put it down and then you, you kind of look back upon it, was there one thing yeah. that you were trying to maybe get across? Was there, was there that John Lesquois, you know, uh, kind of signature that that you kind of put in your books that, that when you go back through, if your name's on the cover, people are going to go, yeah, I know who wrote that. Yes, is the short answer, yes. Um, okay. But I have to say that in this book, it was this is the only time I've ever rewritten an ending in my life. The, t- the typical thing that happens is I'm writing along, having a good time, and and I'm putting down interesting things in, in kind of a little fugue pattern around the book. And then things start moving together, and it's almost as though they move together of their own volition. And suddenly I go, oh, yeah, that's what I was trying to get to. But I don't usually accept, you know, the, um, the, the whole idea that you have to write it on a first. I mean, I've always accepted that you have to write it on a first draft. You have to get it. And this is the first time that I've gotten to the, the end point and said, no, this isn't as good as it can be. And that's why it's a little bit, it's a little bit thrilling, actually. I actually said to my editor, why don't we have all three endings? <laughs> I said, why don't we just leave it ambiguous and not have, you know, not have the ending be uh, what, what, not have me give you the ending. And so we kind of came came we discussed that at some length believe it or not and i finally just decided no this is the right ending and uh now i'm very happy with it it seems to have worked i, I have to say yeah good well i have to say a reading experience is not like a game of clue so thank you for <laughs> right right <laughs> that's a very good call and some of them are you know and i don't necessarily want to write that kind of reading experience um could you talk a bit about what got you started wanting to write novels? Oh, going way back? Um, going yeah, way back. I was a voracious, way back. I was a voracious reader when I was a kid. Uh, and I, you know, I read, like, I remember my first book was Tom Sawyer when I was like seven or eight years old. And by the time I was in college, I was, a, you know, very much an English major type guy at Cal Berkeley. I was majoring in the continental novel and translation, and uh, I wrote a book in college. I wrote a novel, full-length novel, and it wasn't any good, but I, you know, I, got, I wanted to get to the end. That was my whole feeling. Then right after I got out of college, I said, well, I'm going to give myself a master's class in writing novels. I'm going to write a, another novel, but bigger and with a real emphasis on plot and a lot of uh, interesting character stuff, and that actually became my first published novel. Um, my first published hardcover actually was called Son of Holmes, and it was a it was a Sherlock Holmes pastiche, but it was you know 280 pages, and it was a real book, and it's still in print. Right. So 
<laughs> Amazingly wow. enough, it took me yeah, it took me 14 years to submit it to a publisher, during which time I was writing other drafts and manuscripts of things. But when I handed it in, I got two offers on it within six weeks in New York. I took one of the offers. It was a hardcover offer from Donald I. Fine. And um, he asked me for a sequel. And that was it. From then on, I've been writing a book a year. <laughs> it's all it takes, I mean, I can't it? figure it out. I don't know what I did differently between my manuscripts that I wrote in my 20s and early 30s. But, um, you know, I was, I was keeping at it, trying to learn the craft and get good at it. And eventually, you know, when a guy gave me, you know, a contract and said, please write a book, I was going, and get paid? Are you kidding? Let, where do I sign? <laughs> and so that's what I did. I started writing, and I, you know, it's been it's been a constant thing since then. It's been great. Now, the one thing that was not around. This is going to be a good segue into this because the one thing that was not around when you decided to write books was an organization uh, called ITW. But now there yeah. is that organization for writers that are in the same boat like you were 20 years ago and 25 years, and now right. all of a sudden now they're able to kind of go. And you just became the co-president of the ITW, so congratulations with that, you and MJ Rose. Thank you. Yeah. And it's so fantastic. how did that so, – Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so how did that kind of come about? Because you've been a member for so long, and now all of a sudden you're kind of the co-president. So can you kind of take us you know, through the cycle of you first kind of coming in the ITW and, and now you're a co-president? Yeah, well, it was really interesting because, you know, before the ITW, there was the Mystery Writers of America, and I'm still a member of the Mystery Writers of America, and that was pretty much the, you know, the only organization for writers of suspense and mystery that there was. But we, uh, some of us who were um, <clears throat> within the organization of mystery writers, found that we were not getting nominated for prizes, essentially. You know, we were we were the kind of the unknown group. I was writing illegal thrillers. So was that really a mystery, or was it really a thriller? Was it a courtroom drama? The mystery writers did not really take well to that, and they didn't really seem to want to support, um, like, romantic suspense. They didn't want to do that with a lot of women writing that kind of stuff. And there were two or three different kinds of, you know, espionage books, for example. All of these things were not really... Um, the bailiwick of Mystery Writers of America. So what happened was about 11 years ago, Gail Linz and David Morell were at a BoucherCon, which is the Mystery Writers group uh, convention, and they just got to talking one night and said, this is crazy. None of the people who do what we do are being recognized for anything. They're not even being nominated. So they said, let's form it. Let's, let's you know, check the water and see what the Thriller Writers situation is all about. So they called up, I think, Clive Cussler first, and Gail called me. When David called, uh, when David Morell called Clive, uh, Gail called me. And she said, look, we need some money to make this start. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, okay, I'll give you $1,000. And she said, thank you, and hung up. And then she called back about five minutes later, and she goes, no, we were thinking more like $5,000. <laughs> and I said, wow, okay. So... Um, Anyway, I put up some money. I put up the $5,000, and so did Clive, and so did the Kellermans, I believe. And uh, based on that, they kind of threw together uh, some bylaws and started an organization, and now I think it's got 3,800 members. 
And it's just an unbelievably vibrant, exciting, you know, organization to be part of, much less be president of. Do you, um, since you're now co-president, do you have a vision in mind uh, during your tenure? <clears throat> yeah, I wish people would start calling me Your Excellency. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, Your Excellency. Um, <laughs> thank you very much. You can be among the first. Um, seriously, though, you know, there is a, our executive director, Liz Berry, Steve Berry's wife, she is the most unbelievably organized, fantastic person in the world, and she does all of the nuts and bolts of running the organization. The president's position, really, uh, me and MJ, we're just there to settle disputes among, you know, maybe Liz and other authors, or, for example, authors who are self-published, whether they want to be um, included as an approved publisher by the ITW. There are those kinds of issues that come up, and then we sometimes get involved. But other than that, um, you know, it's it's a great honor to be the co-president, but I can't say it's taking up a lot of my time. Okay. Well, um, just so everybody knows, um, John is incognito. His Internet went down. I guess it has to do with the weather that uh, they're having in L.A., just like oh, you're seriously? having where you are. Seriously. Okay. So okay. <laughs> you're stuck with me at the moment. That's great news. But <laughs> – <laughs> um, I was hoping you would talk about uh, music. You are a musician as well, and yeah. I'm curious. Since I mean, I, I write, but the thought of writing music is just baffling to me. How do you huh. write music? Well, you know, <clears throat> I've done that from the time I was 17. I started playing guitar at 17, and one of the very first things I did when I learned three chords is I wrote a song and I kept writing songs. And over the years I've, you know, I actually, I was a professional musician until I was 30 full time. Um, I had a band in the Bay area called Johnny Capo and his real good band. And I was Johnny Capo. And, um, since then I've continued writing songs. I just, I'd sit down with my guitar and play some chords or I have some kind of a, a neat lyric idea and I just start writing it, and, you know, usually an hour later I have a song, and sometimes they're pretty good. So what I'm doing now is I have a um, a friend of mine in the in the local scene named Tommy Lee Moffat, who is a country singer, and he's just put out a CD called Dixie Sunshine, and it's um, ten of my songs, which I'm thrilled about, all country. I mean, I write a lot of different types of material, but country is one of them. So I have a CD out there as of like yesterday or two days ago, and you can go get it on CD Baby if you want. Pretty cool. Well, you also have your own music label, right? I do that too, yeah. <laughs> I have a label, Crow Art Records, and I think there are four or five CDs on that, some of them featuring me, some of them featuring, uh, featuring other musicians in the valley here in California. It's a, you know, I can't say it's the biggest part of my life, but it's a, it's been a steady, real part of my life for 35 years. So, you know, it's a good thing. I love music. Also, I'm building a guitar, which thrills me. Oh, that's cool. Do you yeah. think writing it's really cool. lyrics? Can you guys hear me now? Uh, oh, you're you're yeah, back. I can hear you. Oh, my internet literally we were just went pretty bad. Yeah, my fault. My internet literally Great. just went complete. Probably all the stupid rain we're having, and so I'm sitting here struggling to try uh -huh. to 
get it anywhere I can. <laughs> hey, so we're back. What did I miss? <laughs> uh, well, my question to you, John, was do you I think writing the lyrics... are fatal. Oh, <laughs> do, do you think writing lyrics for music helps you with your prose for your novels? Well, you know what? I think anything that makes you aware of the actual words you're using is a good thing. I mean, that is the ball game, and it's it's so funny when we talk about writing and we talk about plot, we talk about character, and you know all of those issues. All of those issues don't mean a darn thing if you don't wrap it up in some kind of mellifluous prose, which means you got to be picking the right words, and you got to be following the rules of grammar, and you know making things clear and unambiguous. And it's you know nobody seems to talk really about the nuts and bolts of really sitting down and polishing prose. And if, if there's any place where lyrics really intersect with prose writing, it's that, you know, you have to pick the exact right lyric. You know, I was just reading about a, uh, the Beatles and their, their, their song, um, well, she was, just, you know, she was just 17, that one. I saw her standing there. And um, mm-hmm. when Paul wrote it, he wrote, she was just 17, a real beauty queen. And John Lennon went, no, 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 that's just too wimpy. Let's call it, she was just 17, you know what I mean, which is much better. And it's the, the, that's what makes that song work, is you know what I mean, not just like a beauty queen. Yeah. The, yeah. the funny thing is, is, too, you know, you hear that all the time, like um, it's, it, it, it happened in Night Ranger Sister and uh, Sister Christian because... You know, she, uh, it was actually supposed to be Kristen, but when the guy heard it, he changed it to Kristen, and he goes, ah, it doesn't sound, he goes, it sounds better this way. So, because it was actually right. like the drummer's sister that they were talking about, he goes, that's not my sister's name. So, yeah, it's kind of right. funny how sometimes it's like that creative brain thinks that way when you kind of hear those things. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, it's really funny. It's it's one of my, um, the things I've been talking about more and more lately when I'm, you know, in public and that is the actual, you know, the actual prose style that you use in your stories. You know, you want to have dialogue that's interesting and funny <laughs> and not cliched and, and people, and yet sounding like people really talk. Right. And so many people don't take the time to get that right. And it's ridiculous because that's what the whole ballgame is. So, you know, I, one of the things I like to do when I'm writing a book is I like to go back you know, maybe 50 pages randomly or 100 pages randomly and just read a page for fun out of context and just see if it's a fun read on that page. And if it's not, I go back and see what's wrong and try to fix it. Well, John, I'll tell you what, we have been, had such a wonderful time having you on the show. Uh, we can't thank you enough well, for coming on. Time's kind of flown by here. Uh, and I, I don't can't believe it. I know. And who knows yeah. if my Internet's going to stay on. Because all this rain that we're having in California, you're getting it up there. I'm getting it down here. I don't know what's going on. But uh, can right. you do us one thing before you go? I tried Help to cut people. it. I apologize. Yeah. It didn't stay <laughs> off too long. Uh, I, can, I got what ways. What can I do for you? So, so, the best way, so <laughs> what's the best way for people to get in touch with you or to find out more about your work? Is it your website, fa- oh, Facebook? Oh, please just go to my – Let them know. Yeah. I have Facebook. I've got Twitter. Uh, I've also got my, my regular page, www.johnlesquad.com. And I answer my mail, and really just by myself, I answer it. So anybody wants to get in touch with me, please call or please uh, email, and um, we'll get back to you. And become a super fan. On your website, you can become a super uh, fan. Super fan is even better. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, congratulations. So thank you guys for having me. Yeah, yeah, can't wait to see the book uh, here. Then uh, again, everybody, January twenty fourth, called Fatal. It will be out in hardcover ebook. However you get it, however you want to read it, it's available on that day. So, John, again, thanks so much for coming on. Congratulations on the ITW, um, uh, you know, co co president, and can't wait to see what you got next. Fantastic, guys. Thanks for talking to me. All right, bye bye. Thank you so much. Okay, see you later. So, again, everybody, that is John Lesquois. Make sure that you visit his website, johnlesquois.com, L-E-S-C-R-O-A-R-T.com, for all the information you can find out about all of his work and, of course, the book Fatal. So, well, Jeff, we're going to cut it short. We're just going to do a half hour today. Uh, You're kind of under the weather, and we want to make sure that you can make it for the January 31st show, which will be our next one that we'll have on. So yes, and our guest will be Peter Swanson. Yep, Peter Swanson. That'll be a good. That'll be a fun show. That'll be good. So January thirty first will be the next Beyond the Cover that we're going to have here, um, and seven thirty again Pacific time. But of course, you can always subscribe on iTunes to get all the shows that you want. So until next time, my man. It's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Have a good one. Keep reading, everybody. And keep reading. Have a good one. See you until next time.